So this is uh, the third of kind of the trilogy of series that, that we have done. We looked at leading up to um, Easter, uh, we looked at the setup, which was the setup of Jesus heading towards the crucifixion. Um, and then we looked at the event um, on Easter Sunday of the resurrection. And now we're doing a series on the aftermath of the setup and the event. And we looked last week um, at the idea that, that the church that began in the aftermath of the resurrection, um, that the church um, was a movement, that it was very outsider focused. But at some point in, in time, and it wasn't very much time after the church began, um, it transitioned. And church became an idea about a place and a building, and it lost its idea about it being a movement. And with that whole transition that happened, it became extremely insider focused. And, and there's kind of this gravitational pull with every single individual church to become insider focused. And you can see examples of this in all sorts of um, different ways. Um, perhaps, perhaps maybe you've been at a church um, where it was something like if you weren't a member of that church, you couldn't partake in communion with them. And so you sat and you felt very outsider when you were a part um, of that event. Um, you know, perhaps um, there, there was... Um, sad to say, I, I, I was part of a church that there was a discussion going on um, within the staff meeting at one juncture about there was an event um, that had been held every year at the church, and it was kind of an appreciation for um, all of the volunteers and everything, and they had held it outside and had cookouts and, you know, everything that was going on there on the church grounds, and, and somebody spoke up and said, perhaps let's have this at somebody's house, because when we had it at the church last year, too many people from the neighborhood came. Huh. Talk about being insider-focused. And forgetting about the outsiders. And, and there's other things that can happen that can be even more painful when you kind of realize like, oh my goodness, this church is really insider focused. Per perhaps, you were, perhaps you were growing up and maybe your uh, parents got divorced and your church didn't know what to do with that. And, and so your family just kind of ended up leaving because you felt ostracized. Felt like you couldn't walk into the building without people just looking, but yet nothing was really ever addressed. Maybe perhaps you were a part of a church that went through a church split and one side thought and felt one thing and one side fought, thought and felt the other and one side wanted to get rid of the pastor and one side didn't want to get rid of the pastor and the whole thing was just kind of a mess and so just insider focused and not even caring about what was going outside the walls that you just maybe left. And, and as you look at the story of how the church started after the resurrection, you, you look at the first century church, it didn't look anything like this at all. The first century church, they took care of each other. And the only requirement in the first century church was Jesus. That is, he was the son of God. And if you believed that, awesome. But if you didn't believe it, then the response was, well, what can we do for you? It's a very different response from much of the church nowadays to people who don't believe. And the church over time has turned from being outsider focus to insider focus. And one way that you can always tell how a church is focused, that is whether it's turned to insiders as opposed to outsiders, 
is how its people pray. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 as we get rolling this morning. And here's what we're going to do. Um, We are going to read the very first recorded prayer in the history of the church, that the church prayed together corporately. And this is remarkable as we look at this. But before, before we look at this prayer, I want you to kind of think about the prayers that you pray. And I know the prayers that you pray for the most part. And, and I'll tell you what they are. Here's how it goes. We generally pray for ourselves. And then we pray for our family. And then we pray for maybe two or three sick people. Like that about most of our prayers could probably be encompassed within those things. And that's how we pray. And the things that we pray about, about ourselves, because that's where probably most of us spend our time praying, are like absurd. Like for the most part, like, I, and I know there's some extreme situations, um, you know, and I'm not telling you to stop praying for those extreme situations, but for the most part, for the most part, the stuff that we pray for are things that are probably going to happen anyway. And here's what I mean. And many of you have had this same experience. Like there's a couple, there were a couple prayers as I was growing up. I grew up as a pastor's son. And so there were a couple prayers that happened all the time when we were growing up. One of them, for example, was, all right, kids, family, let's pray. Lord, we pray for traveling mercies. Anybody have the traveling mercy prayer? Yes, traveling mercies. Keep us safe on our way. Guide our vehicle. Yeah, and listen to this. And I'm like, okay, traveling mercies. You want to get there safe. Okay, well, here's what you do. Fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> drive the speed limit. Use your turn signals. <laughs> like, okay, like traveling mercies. God's probably thinking like, you don't need me for traveling mercies. Like, atheists arrive to places safe all the time. Like, you realize this is like not a... But, but we love, oh, as a church, we love the traveling mercy prayer, right? And then kind of, you know, and we, and we, pray other, we pray other things, like things that like we don't need God to intervene on. Like, oh God, it's finals week. I'm studying for this test. Help me to do good on this test. Well, study <laughs> and learn and then write what you know. Like, okay, like, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a path to doing well right, on the test. Again, do you know how many people who do not believe in God do really well on tests, right? The prayer isn't the trick. That's not how, that's not how it works. And, and they, they're just ridiculous. Oh, God, I've got this wedding coming up that I have to go to. Please, please, please let this zit go away before then. <laughs> Come on, you, you, you've all prayed it, right? Right? Oh, Dear God, she is so good looking. Please let her notice me and somehow want to go out with me even though I'm too embarrassed to ask. Oh God, you know. Well, no. Be a decent person. Ask her. Like there's steps you can take. We don't need magical uh, interventions through prayer. And I'm making fun and making light of it. But, 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 but think about the things that we ask God for. That when we pray, when we take the time, and we address the creator of the universe, right? My kids, every night, every night, they want to, partly I think it's just because it's an extra step to keep them from having to go to sleep, 
But they're always like, dad, 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 we got to say our prayers. Got to say our prayers. Which basically is them saying, dad, 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 come in. Say the exact same thing that you said last night and the night before that and the night before that. You want to you see how creative you are? Try and make a kid's bedtime prayer different every night. <laughs> Whew. I am not creative. I'm pretty sure my kids can say the prayer without me saying it. But they bring it in. And that's what, the, that's what they do. That's what we say. And God's probably up there like, oh, this is great. Just go to sleep. Just, I mean, I appreciate the effort. You know, yes, I know you're thankful for the day. Yes, I'll protect your dreams. Okay, just, just, just go to bed. And I can only imagine that as God is listening to so many of our prayers, he's just sitting there like, do they know who I am? Are they going to ask for something or are they just going to, eh? Because I can do some things. He's waiting for us to pray something big. And I'm not saying that you have to stop praying for all of that other stuff. But here's the thing. Most all of our prayers have a singular person in common. Who is that? Us. Right? Almost all of our prayers have us and God. Th- think about it this way. If you really, really want to feel bad about yourself, which I'm so glad I'm here to make that happen for you today. Aren't you glad you came to church? If you really think about, if God answered every single one of your prayers from the last year, who would be better off? Probably you, a few of your family members, and maybe a couple people wouldn't be sick right? Your marriage would be great. Everything would be smooth. Your kids will have gotten into a better school. Their grades will be high. They'll behave. Yeah. You would have a better job. You'd be more respected. You'd be making more money. You'd be better off if all of your prayers were answered. And I'm not saying you should quit praying those things. But what I am saying is this, is that people who pray self-centered prayers, when you get them all together in a group, act like a self-centered church, right? And here's the thing, is that all of the sudden, the church When it started going through this transition of being self-centered, insider-focused as opposed to outsider-focused, it lost what made it attractive to all of the people who were not a part of it. That thing inside of it, that when people saw it, were like, I don't know really what's going on there, but that looks good to me, right? And we are church people now, and we do church things in our church building or our YMCA turned into a church building. And it's all about, mm, mm, mm. and after a while, like the thing is, is that when all of you and all of us are together and we're doing church and not just this church, but all church, when all the churches are together and we're like all insider focused about ourselves, about ourselves together, only no outsiders around, we end up getting on each other's nerves, Right? You cannot just be in a group of people solely focused on yourself without eventually getting on each other's nerves because we are so self-centered. And what happens is eventually somebody gets on your nerves and somebody does or says something that you don't like or the pastor talks about something that doesn't fit into your self-centered thing. And next thing you know, it's like, well, maybe we should try another church. 
we don't like these self-centered people. Let's go find some other self-centered people, right? I know, I'm getting on it today. I'm glad I paired this with baby dedications. <laughs> right? But I have a feeling. I have a feeling that if I were to ask you guys, you want to be part of something bigger than that, something that goes beyond that. And so churches who are on God's big mission, who are trying to do something larger, they pray big prayers. And I want to challenge you to start praying a different type of prayer. Now, here's how the early Christians pray. And before we jump into this passage, let me bring you up to speed on what's happening. So last week, we looked at day one of the church. 3,000 people joined the group, heard what was going on, heard the things that were happening and said, we want to be part of that. 3,000. A few days later, Peter and John are headed to the temple, right? Which is the epicenter of Judaism at that time. They're headed to the temple and they're going there to pray. And if there was an organizational flow chart of the early church, it would be like Jesus up top. And then like right under Jesus would be Peter and John. And then everybody else comes under there. I mean, they were the guys. Jesus was gone. So they were operationally at the top. They were the ones that were making it happen. And so on their way to the temple that morning, they pass a guy who's laying on the side of the road, who's lame, can't walk, and is begging for money. And they look at him and they say, hey, we don't have any money, but we can give you something. And to which he probably was thinking at this, he was probably like, oh, great. Like, this is like the equivalent of the offering plays going around. Ah, I don't have any money, but what do I got? What do I got? Oh, lint and a toothpick, Go right? What are they going to give me? And they look at him and they say, get up and walk, right? And so, so this guy who all of his life could not walk, stands up, walks, and follows them into the temple. Now, I can only imagine the reactions of the people around who had seen this guy day after day after year after year, <laughs> laying by the side of the road, asking where, all of a sudden seeing him walking behind Peter and John, and then being like, wait, is that that is. What, what in the world has happened? And so this buzz starts. People start talking. And it starts, this, this, the talking starts to emanate out and people start hearing what has happened and what is going on. And so there kind of begins to be a crowd that gathers and wants to come and see this thing that has happened inside of their town. And it's one thing for these guys to be, these, these followers of Jesus, to be causing a scene outside the temple somewhere but to be doing it at the temple? I mean, that's a whole nother different story. So as the crowd gathers, Peter, who just like as we looked last week at the kickoff of the church, when he sees the crowd gathering, he can't help but to preach. He's like, oh, look at all these people. Time for another sermon. This is perfect. And so he gives another sermon right there in the temple, which he had no authority to do. He couldn't do that, but he did it. And he gave his one sermon. Like, I don't know how many people, like you maybe grew up or used to go to a church where you're like, every single week it was the exact same sermon and you could kind of figure out, you know, what it is like, okay, well, here's this part. It must be about a quarter after because now he's saying, you know. Peter only had one sermon. And his sermon was basically, you guys killed Jesus. He's alive again. Come join us. That, that was his sermon. 
And he gave it over and over and over again. And so the second time he gives this sermon that we have recorded, the first time 3,000 people joined. This time, it says that the number of believers grew to be over 5,000 men. That's not including the women who heard him and said, yeah, I want to be on board with that. And this was significant because now with the size of Jerusalem at that time, after this happens, about 10% of Jerusalem has decided that they're going to follow this Jesus movement. This little cult that has started up, this offshoot of Judaism, 10%, that's a huge amount of people within this city. And it did not sit well with the religious leaders. You can imagine, they did not approve of this. So they arrest Peter and they arrest John and they throw him in jail. And word of their arrest spreads quickly. And so the original group, they gather because they're worried. Our two main guys are in jail. What is going to happen? So they gather and they're scared to death. And why wouldn't they be? They are in the exact same place where just a few months ago, Jesus was killed. So why wouldn't they be afraid now as this movement is starting to spread and gain steam and the religious leaders are just as bothered with it now as they were with Jesus when he was doing his old thing? And so they are, they are, they're like, okay, okay, okay. Why, why, why? We can't think of a single reason why these guys would show Peter and John mercy. Like this is not a good situation. So, they get together and they're going to pray. Next morning, the uh, religious leaders bring Peter and John out. They're going to have a conversation with them. And uh, they say, they ask them, they go, what is this that you guys are talking about? Peter, this sermon that you give, what are you talking about? And Peter's like, I'm glad you asked. And he launches into his sermon again <laughs> the very next day to all of the leaders who are sitting there, who hold his life in their hands. And he launches into it. And this really bothered him. It really did. You can go back and, and, and read this part of it. But the problem that they had was this guy who they healed was standing right there. So they couldn't just be like, ah, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a false teacher. God is not with you. We're going to condemn you to that. They couldn't do that because the guy who had been lame all of his life was standing right next to them and everybody was looking at him. And so they're like, well, we can't very well punish the miracle workers in front of all of the people. This will not accomplish what we need. And so they say, all right, here's what we're going to do. And this is where we pick up the story. Chapter four, verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there, who, by the way, still standing, hadn't laid back down, all his life not standing, today standing, right? In fact, in fact, I, I, I picture weird little backstories when I read the Bible. I picture that this guy stood up, walked that day. When he got home that night, he probably was tired and ready to go to sleep, but looked at the bed and thought, well, to go to sleep, I got to lay back down. I've been laying all my life. I'm just going to stand all night. 
Right? That's how, that's how I picture going. Maybe I'll get against a wall. Maybe I'll get into the corner where I can lean. I'll just sleep that way. Right? Because when you've spent all of your life not standing, you want to stand. Right? So they saw the guy standing there with them. And so there was nothing that they could say. And so they say to Peter and John, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to let you go, but you have got to shut up. You've got to stop saying these things. Don't come in here talking about all of this stuff. Don't talk about Jesus. We don't want to hear you talking about this uh, alleged resurrection. Quit blaming us for killing him for crying out loud. Just keep your mouth shut. And Peter looks at them and he basically says, hey guys, you guys do what you've got to do. And we'll do what we have to do because we can't stop talking about what we have seen. And so they're let go. And Peter and John go to where the group had gathered and was praying on their behalf and was meeting and, and tell them what happens. And everybody in the room breathes this big, huge sigh of relief. Oh, we're so glad they let you go. We're so glad. And then Luke tells us this part of the story. And th- th- this is interesting. And when I say Luke, not like in Luke, Luke wrote Acts. So he tells us this part of the story. But be- before we look at that, I want to ask a question. If you were in that group, in that room, and there was this situation where the two main guys of your movement were under arrest and possibly at the end of their life, how would you react if they walked in? Of course, there would probably be huge relief. But as you were gathered there, you would probably be like, okay, we've got to make some changes. First of all, let's pray. God, God, protect us, keep us safe, bless us, don't let bad things happen to us, cover us, watch over us, right? That's how we would respond. In fact, in fact, in fact, if this was happening nowadays, we would probably set up a plan, okay? Because this was a really close call. And the plan would probably go something like this. Okay, Peter and John, you two are not allowed to travel together anymore. We can't have both of you being taken out in the same event. You're too important. So from now on, you travel separately everywhere, okay? And you don't even need to be going to the same place. You guys should probably always be in different locations because if something happens to one, we need the other to keep the movement going. And, 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 let's see, talking about traveling, we probably need a fleet of tricked out black SUVs for you guys to go in, right? And so that there's kind of, you know, protection in numbers and all that, and we'll do that. Um, We probably need a security detail with you at all times in case something happens to protect you because we can't have you guys going down. You're too important to the movement. Um, The guy, the security detail, they should probably have the, you know, the wires coming out of their ears so that they can talk to each other through their, you know, wrists, like they're all cool um, because that just seems safer. Um, Yeah, we're going to do this. We cannot risk this happening again. And and probably, guys, here's what we need to do. As we're reviewing the situation that just happened, probably what we need to do, you know, only just for a little bit, but let's tone down the rhetoric. Okay, that really seems to kind of get the people who could damage us riled up. So, So let's kind of, just for now, let's knock off the resurrection talk, all right? We can, how about incorporating some love talk that, you know, people like love, that works. 
You know, we did a poll on love. Love polls well. The people will enjoy it. Um, let's focus our message in that area. Maybe not so much the dead resurrection thing. Um, how about we can do we can do some prayer lessons. Everybody, you know, knows they need to pray. Maybe some people need some help with that. Let's do some prayer lessons. And then when all of this blows over and things seem safer, then maybe we can go back and revisit this whole resurrection thing. But we need first and foremost for you guys to be safe right? That's how we think nowadays. That's how we kind of go about things. But he, here's how they prayed. Are you, are you ready for this? This is incredible. Here's how they prayed. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So here we go. The very first recorded prayer of the church in the first century. Here we go. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, they, they're following exactly Jesus' model for prayer. Before we do anything else, we are recognizing who it is that we are addressing. And we do not take this lightly. Sovereign Lord, nothing, nothing happens outside of your purview, God. They say, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And then they quote this Old Testament passage that predicted the Messiah would be persecuted and mistreated. They said, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed one. And then they take this Old Testament prophet and they bring it into their time period and what exactly was going on with them. And they say, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city. Pause, in this city. The very city where the crucifixion and the resurrection happened only a few months earlier. You're saying you are sovereign God. You predicted this would happen, and it did. In this city, they, they came together to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And look at this, verse 28. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Time out. Wait, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. They believed that none of the events that were taking place were spiraling out of control. See, that's exactly not how we view things when they start going wrong, or at least when they start not going according to our plan. See, we think, oh my goodness, it's out of control. Things are going wrong. It's falling apart. Where are you, God? Don't you love me? And here these guys are in a position to fear for their life. Their main guy's being arrested, whole nine yards. And they knew, they knew, they knew. And then look this, look at this. Here's what they ask for. They say, God, we knew, you knew, all of this is under your control. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. What? What? I mean, guys, 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 guys. I don't mean to interrupt your prayer here. This is, this is a good prayer. I don't mean to interrupt your prayer, but boldness? In this moment, what you're going to pray for, for boldness, isn't that what you got? Isn't that what got you into this in the first place? Boldness? Isn't that what you got you into all the trouble? 
Peter, John, isn't this what landed you in jail? Your boldness in saying these things that's causing chaos in the streets? Boldness, guys, guys, guys. Your boldness seems to be the problem here. Why are you praying for more boldness? Aren't you bold already? Why are you asking for more? Now, let me ask you a question. In your prayers in life, as you've prayed for all of your things, have you ever in your life specifically prayed for boldness to spread the word of God and to be a representation of him in the marketplace and to your family? Has, has that been a prayer of yours? Because we, we, we pray for people to become Christians, right? But we don't actually really say anything to them. We're really good at that. Oh, Lord, you just need to intervene, move on their heart. Let them realize who you are. God, I pray for their salvation. And then we see them. Hey, did you see that show the other day? Right? It's not very bold to operate in that manner. See, we we do that, yeah, but... And here's, here's what else. When I say pray for boldness... I'm not saying pray for weirdness, all right? Listen, listen, the church has enough weirdness. Weirdness is abundant within the American church. It just is. I, I, I'm not saying weirdness. We don't need more weirdness. But, but then they asked for another thing in their prayer. And they only asked for two things. One was for boldness, and then they asked for this. And it's even kind of further out there than boldness. So they say, give us the boldness and stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonder through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Signs and wonder. Have you ever prayed for that? <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not that kind of church, <laughs> right? No, we're not, we're not. I, I've seen the signs and wonders churches. No, 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 I haven't prayed for that. But listen, this, this, this verse has kind of gotten a bad rap. And here's why. It's gotten a bad rap because this is, this is weird to us because Christians do this inside of the church. They do it inside the church. But these people were asking for these things to happen outside the church in the community so that those who did not believe can see these things and be like, wow, there is only one explanation for this. I need to figure out what that's about. And they lived their lives in such a way that the people in the community noticed them and thought that must have been an act of God. And, and so what if, what if we prayed kind of our version of this? What if we prayed, God, reach out your hand and do something through me in front of my unbelieving friends, in front of my anti-church friends, in front of my jerk of jerks co-workers, in front of my friends who have been hurt and damaged by the church, in front of my friends who are smarter than I am and quote people that I've never heard of in response to some of the things that I say. Do something through me in front of them that is beyond me and my abilities and my intelligence that in some way points them towards you. 
Because listen, 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 here, here, here's something you've got to remember is that every single one of the miracles in the Bible were not for the people who received the benefit of the miracle. Okay, that was kind of a confusing sentence. Let me ask it this way. What do all people who received a miracle in the Bible have in common? They're all dead. Every single one of them. What they received was not something for them to last forever. The point of the miracles in the Bible was for Jesus to show that I have authority and I have power. It was a way to get people to look towards God. Now, now here's the thing. They were doing it. They were asking, God, as we go out in the community, do these things. Demonstrate your power so people, because of us, will look towards you. Can you imagine, can you imagine, can you imagine if we added this piece to the prayers that we already pray? If we added, God, would you give me boldness to see opportunities and not just to see opportunities to do or say something for you, but to take those opportunities. God, would you stretch out your hand, do something through me that causes people to look towards you that causes people to give you a second look or to at least open the door that maybe, maybe there's something that they don't know. Could you imagine what would happen if Christians all over this country prayed that prayer? And he, he, here's what would happen guaranteed. If you prayed the prayer, Lord, present opportunities, allow me to see them. What would happen is you would see more opportunities. And here's why I can say that with 100% confidence that if you ask for opportunities, you'll see more opportunities. The reason that I know that happens is because you see what you are looking for. Don't believe me? How many of you have ever bought a vehicle? And before you bought that particular vehicle, you never noticed anyone else driving that vehicle. But as soon as you bought that vehicle, all of a sudden they're everywhere. You see it. Every time one drives by, you see it. Every time you pass one in the parking lot, you notice it, right? Because now all of a sudden it's on your radar screen and it's something that you're aware of and that you're kind of looking for. And listen, there's one truth in life that holds every time. Well, there's a few truths. The one I'm talking about is <laughs> you will see more things if you're looking for those things. It's just the way it works. And so if we say, God, let me see more opportunities and you keep your eyes open for those opportunities, you are going to see opportunities. Here's how this story wraps up. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I don't know exactly what that means, but it was worth writing. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And then Luke feels the need to tell us this next part. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna share everything. So who's got the newest car? You can share that with me. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, as the church prayed to be a proper representation of God, as the church prayed to focus on others and not themselves, there was an outbreak of generosity. 
God said, you want to represent me? You want to be people who live the way that I would have you to live? Generosity. Because it was no longer about self. It was about others. Listen, we are not a big church here at Tapestry. But I want us to be a bold church. I want us to be a church that prays for opportunities to share God with others. I want us to be a church of people that when those opportunities pop up, we see them. And we have prepared ourselves in such a way that is when we're in our prayer times praying for boldness. That when we see those opportunities, we know what to do. I don't want us to be a self-focused church. And I don't want you to be self-focused Christians. I want people to look at you. I want people to look at us. I want people to say, wow, maybe there's something that I was getting wrong about Christianity. Maybe there's something I don't know because I see them and there's something appealing about it. Maybe I'll give it a second look. So here's my challenge to you. You don't have to stop praying about all the other stuff. You want to keep praying all that stuff? That's fine. Pray that stuff. But I challenge you, add this to your prayer. God, give me boldness to share you and stretch out your hand and do something through me that will cause those around me to look to you. And if we are willing, God will answer that prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, a lot of times I, I, I want people to leave here feeling encouraged and feeling good. But this morning, God, I, I, I want us to leave here feeling convicted as to where our focus is. Are we self-centered, self-focused Christians? And God, for those of us in this room who if we answer that question honestly, the answer to that is yes. God, I pray that today be the day that we begin to undo that. Lord, that as we pray this week, Lord, let us put our selfish prayers to the side and let us begin with acknowledging who you are and asking to be a part of what you are doing. God, let us look to others first not to our own interests. God, I thank you for the lengths that you went to to bring us into relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for the model that is the early church. And God, I pray that we become a church and we become Christians who are worthy of your name and who are representations of you to all of the people around us who are not a part of the church. Lord, this is an awesome responsibility. Let us treat it as such. Lord, we thank you for all things. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out. Look forward to seeing you next week as we continue on in the story of the early church. It's a beautiful